Welcome back to the Rights and Liberties Podcast, where we are discussing the Federalist Papers. Today we will talk about Federalist 63. We typically begin these podcasts with three big ideas. Here are three big ideas about Federalist 63. Big Idea 1. Madison opened Federalist 63 by referring to the need for some part of the government to have a sense for the views of other governments. Big Idea 2. Madison emphasized in Federalist 63 the role of the Senate in ensuring that the government both engage in long-term decision-making and avoid decisions made in haste. Big Idea 3. Madison in Federalist 63 argued against claims that the Senate might be a locus of corruption, particularly aristocratic corruption. It is useful to remember that Federalist 63 is a continuation of Federalist 62. It is often the case that the consecutive essays of the Federalist Papers will refer to or discuss a single or unified idea. Federalist 63 begins by referring to a fifth desideratum. The first four had been addressed in Federalist 62. Madison characterized this fifth desideratum as, quote, the want of a due sense of national character, end quote. Now, what Madison means by that phrase is not made crystal clear, but Madison seemed to connect this with the notion that a Senate would create a stable body of government whose stability would be useful for both conveying a consistent sense of American policy to other countries and for interpreting consistently the views of other countries about American policy. Quoting Madison on this, quote, An attention to the judgment of other nations is important to every government for two reasons. The one is that independently of the merits of any particular plan or measure, it is desirable on various accounts that it should appear to other nations as the offspring of a wise and honorable policy. The second is that in doubtful cases, particularly where the national councils may be warped by some strong passion or momentary interest, the presumed or known opinion of the impartial world may be the best guide that can be followed." This attention to the judgment of other nations was to be found in or vested in the Senate as the less numerous body whose members would serve longer terms. Quoting Madison here, quote, Yet however requisite a sense of national character may be, it is evident that, that it can never be sufficiently possessed by a numerous and changeable body. It can only be found in a number so small that a sensible degree of the praise and blame of public measures may be the portion of each individual or in an assembly so durably invested with public trust that the pride and consequence of its members may be sensibly incorporated with the reputation and prosperity of the community. End quote. So that is Big Idea 1, the importance of the Senate as a body that can both project consistent policy to other countries and understand how other countries interpret American policy. Big Idea 2 focuses on a different aspect of the stability of the Senate, likely to stem from the longer terms in office of its members, reminding those considering the Constitution that some necessary legislation requires sustained attention, augmentation, and study over an extended period. He began this line of argument by describing a puzzle of sorts. We ordinarily think that frequent elections enhance accountability but Madison suggested that frequent elections may occasionally produce the opposite effect. The reason for this, as he saw it, is that some tasks taken on by governments must be pursued over a relatively long period of time. And, as Madison put it, quote, depending on a succession of well-chosen and well-connected measures, which have a gradual and perhaps unobserved operation, end quote. The Senate, 
whose members would serve six-year terms, would be the proper body to oversee such gradual legislative programs and resolve this problem with ordinary approaches to accountability in, leg in legislative bodies with frequent elections. Quoting Madison once again, quote, the proper remedy for this defect must be an additional body in the legislative department, which, having sufficient permanency to provide for such objects as require a continued attention and a train of measures, may be justly and effectually answerable for the attainment of those objects, end quote. The relatively lengthy time frame within which the Senate would operate would have another different benefit. The Senate's very pace would make rash, hasty, emotionally driven lawmaking less common, quoting Madison on this, quote, as the cool and deliberate sense of the community ought in all governments, and actually will in all free governments, ultimately prevail over the views of its rulers, so there are particular moments in public affairs when the people, stimulated by some irregular passion or some illicit advantage, or misled by the artful misrepresentations of interested men, may call for measures which they themselves will afterwards be the most ready to lament and condemn. In these critical moments, how salutary will be the interference of some temperate and respectable body of citizens in order to check the misguided career and to suspend the blow meditated by the people against themselves until reason, justice, and truth can regain their authority over the public mind. End quote. Big Idea 3 draws on ideas seen in previous essays of the Federalist Papers. Madison in Federal 63 denied that the Senate would play a significant role in corruption, either in creating it or spreading it. The claim he sought to dispute, he summarized in the following way, quote, A Senate appointed not immediately by the people and for the term of six years must gradually acquire a dangerous preeminence in the government and finally transform it into a tyrannical aristocracy, end quote. In addressing this point directly, Madison argued, in effect, that there are two kinds of problems to be avoided, rather than one, quoting Madison here, quote, To this general answer, the general reply ought to be sufficient, that liberty may be endangered by the abuses of liberty as well as by the abuses of power, that there are numerous instances of the former as well as of the latter, and that the former, rather than the latter, are apparently most to be apprehended by the United States, end quote. He added to this general case by asserting the unlikelihood of damage to the country stemming from corruption of the Senate, given the complexities both of its election and its role in government, claiming that effective corruption of the Senate would be impossible without corruption of other agents, quoting Madison here, quote, Before such a revolution can be effected, the Senate, it is to be observed, must in the first place corrupt itself, must next corrupt the state legislatures, must then corrupt the House of Representatives, and must finally corrupt the people at large, end quote. Part of Madison's more detailed argument on this point involved the use of examples from antiquity and from his own period. Madison pointed to institutions in the ancient world for purposes of comparison and contrast, observing that ancient republics had representative institutions combined with institutions of direct popular government, in contrast to the government under the U.S. Constitution, which would not use institutions of direct democracy. When considering the possibility of a corrupt aristocratic conspiracy, Madison drew on a range of examples intended to show that forces of popular government would not be dominated by institutions comparable to the Senate. Maryland seemed to Madison one example in support of this point, as was, on his account, Britain, 
with its hereditary House of Lords and its more popular House of Commons. Quoting Madison here, quote, British history informs us that this hereditary assembly has not been able to defend itself against the continual encroachments of the House of Representatives, and that it no sooner lost the support of the monarch than it was actually crushed by the weight of the popular branch. End quote. Madison returned to examples from antiquity, Sparta, Rome, and Carthage, to offer a similar claim. For example, when describing Rome, he pointed to dynamics between the tribunes and the senate. Quoting Madison here, quote, The tribunes of Rome, who were the representatives of the people, prevailed, it is well known, in almost every contest with the Senate for life, and in the end gained the most complete triumph over it. The fact is the more remarkable, as unanimity was required in every act of the tribunes, even after their number was augmented to ten. It proves the irresistible force possessed by that branch of a free government which has the people on its side. End quote. These examples led to a straightforward conclusion for Madison on the question of possible corruption in the Senate. If all else were to fail, the popular branch of Congress would serve as a bulwark. Should worrisome corruption of the Senate become politically potent, Madison thought that, quote, the House of Representatives with the people on their side will at all times be able to bring back the Constitution to its primitive form and principles. Against the force of the immediate representatives of the people, Nothing will be able to maintain even the constitutional authority of the Senate, but such a display of enlightened policy and attachment to the public good, as will divide with that branch of the legislature the affections and support of the entire body of the people themselves. End quote. We typically end these podcasts with a brief reference to the relevance of the essay under review to politics today and tomorrow. One point that was important in the argument of Federalist 63 was the idea that the Senate, because of its longer terms in office, would lend stability to the acts and judgments of the government and allow better policymaking in areas requiring a long-term approach to policy questions. Back to Madison on this point, who pointed out that the quality of national character, quote, can never be sufficiently possessed by a numerous and changeable body. It can only be found in a number so small that a sensible degree of the praise and blame of public measures may be the portion of each individual, or in an assembly so durably invested with public trust that the pride and consequence of its members may be sensibly incorporated with the reputation and prosperity of its community. End quote. Madison's argument leads one to the conclusion that this quality would be possessed by the Senate rather than the House. One might wonder whether Madison's description above really does the work of distinguishing between the two houses. One noteworthy point in this regard is the fact that there are 100 senators. This is small compared to the number of members of the House of Representatives, but one wonders if Madison would have thought it small enough for the purposes described here of apportioning praise and blame. And one might wonder about the question of stability of policy as a function of duration in office, perhaps in two different directions. On one hand, while senators often serve for many years, changes in partisan control of the Senate may be thought to cut against the logic of an argument describing an institution whose durability allows it to see long-term policy object objectives through to completion. On the other hand, the role of incumbency in the House, as well as the Senate, might well justify arguments pointing to the significance of the long tenure of many members of the House of Representatives, even when running for re-election every two years. Thank you for listening to the Rights and Liberties podcast. For more about the Sunwater Institute, please visit our website at sunwater.org.